Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, June 23rd. I'm Ashley Norwood, in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. On today's show, First Lady Jill Biden visits Jackson to urge COVID-19 vaccinations. Then, the latest Kids Count report shows concerning signs for children in Mississippi. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, documentary producer Baldwin Chu explores the Asian-American experience in the Deep South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. First Lady Jill Biden visited Mississippi yesterday as part of the White House's campaign to promote COVID-19 vaccinations. Speaking at Jackson State University, the First Lady struck an informal, upbeat tone dwelling mostly on the benefits of vaccines and the possibilities of a post-COVID world. From barbecues to baseball games to boardwalks full of laughing children, Summer is here, and it has never felt more full of promise. You know, the air smells so much sweeter without a mask, doesn't it? (laughs) The Mississippi Department of Health has made vaccine accessibility a key part of its strategy. A few weeks ago, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs claimed Mississippi was the easiest place in the country to get a vaccine. The First Lady, too, emphasized the convenience of vaccinations. She highlights infrastructure in place designed to lessen transportation and child care concerns. I know people are busy. We're all busy, right? We're all working. We have families. We have so much to do. And you may think that you don't have the time to get vaccinated. But most places don't require an appointment. You can just show up. And if you need a ride, Uber and Lyft are offering trips for free. And child care is also an option in many places. No matter where you live, there's a vaccination place nearby, a vaccination site. So just go to vaccines.gov to find one. Mississippi remains the least vaccinated state in America per capita. 
As of Sunday, a little under 29 percent of Mississippians are fully vaccinated. Coming up, Mississippi receives low marks in the latest Annie E. Casey Foundation Kids Count report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. The latest NEE Casey Foundation Kids Count Report is out and it shows troubling signs for child welfare in Mississippi. Lisa Hamilton, who's CEO of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, speaks with MPB's Karen Brown about what the report takes into account. It's an annual comprehensive report on child well-being nationally and at the state level. And we look at how kids are doing in terms of four key areas, their economic well-being, education, health, and the strength of the families and communities that they're growing up in. And this year's report is based on 2019 data, so it shows how states were doing immediately before the pandemic. And we saw some encouraging trends that families were emerging out of the Great Recession. More parents were economically secure. They were able to meet their housing costs. And more teenagers were graduating from high school. But despite that progress, we still had 12 million kids growing up in poverty, which we know can be so damaging to their well-being. And and despite so the good news, to... I know that Mississippi came in dead last in terms of child well-being. It did, and that means Mississippi has lots of opportunities um, to help improve the well-being of the kids in the state. You know, among the most concerning data points for Mississippi is the fact that 28% of children in the state were growing up in poverty, and that was in 2019, you know, before the pandemic. That's far above the national rate of 17%. So we hope that Mississippi will take steps to make sure that the families in their state have the resources and support that they need, and there's help uh, at the federal level that can help them help families during this time meet, meet their basic needs and, and weather this storm. How does the family dynamic play a role or what has to happen in order for that to change? Because especially, I know this is 2019, but during the pandemic, people were working less, money became even tighter than it already was. It, it is. And we know, you know, children depend on their parents for their economic stability. And if families don't have the resources they need, they're not going to be able to put food on the table or keep the lights on or, or make sure that, you know, the family doesn't become homeless. So we, we want to make sure that families get access to the supports they need, that they have, you know, health insurance and, you know, the other critical supports that, that exist. One thing that has been brought up repeatedly that this state is really split on is Medicaid expansion. Do you have information that would show a picture of what their well-being would look like if there was Medicaid expansion? Well, we know that children having their health care needs met is essential. In Mississippi, 6% of children did not have health insurance as of 2019. And health insurance is so important because It enables kids to get any developmental issues they have identified early and to get interventions that are going to help them get on track at school. 
if they have any chronic health conditions like asthma that makes so many kids absent from school and interrupts their learning. Health insurance makes sure that those kids can get those issues addressed. And so uh, Medicaid expansion is an essential way to make sure families have the health care coverage they need, in addition to programs like the Children's Health Insurance Program that provide coverage particularly for children. So we'd recommend that states take advantage. The Children's Foundation of Mississippi works alongside the NEE Casey Foundation and is home to Mississippi's Kids Count Project. It also conducts independent research on kids' well-being in the state. Speaking with MPB's Rob Lane, CFM Executive Director Linda Southward lays out how she thinks Mississippi can improve children's living and learning conditions. Later today, the Children's Foundation will release its blueprint for improving the future of Mississippi's children. We do know, and this most recent survey also pointed out, that there is a strong, a very strong percentage of Mississippians who are very supportive of publicly funded pre-K over time. And that goes back 14 years. It's, it's in the range of 83 or 85% of Mississippians really support pre-K. Mississippians are also very supportive of having quality within childcare programs as well. And so when we take a look at that, when we take a look at the importance of developmental screening, we recognize that healthy development is the necessary first step for a bright future. A lot of the prescriptions that I've read to improve outcomes for kids across the board in Mississippi rely on political actions that are politically controversial. I know that the child tax credit has been discussed as something that was potentially revolutionary for kids in Mississippi and kids throughout the country. That was a highly politically contentious issue, right? Medicaid expansion in Mississippi has been pointed to as something that might help improve outcomes for kids. That's a highly politically contentious issue. How can the Children's Foundation for Mississippi and organizations in general and everyday people think about improving lives for kids in ways that are politically resilient and can survive and thrive no matter who's in office, in state offices and in federal offices? So for the Children's Foundation, we believe that for Mississippi to reach its potential, we must make sure that our state's children reach theirs. Sometimes I think that we in this state, along with others across the country, might miss opportunities to do the right thing at the right time. And we know that developmental screening, which is another area that is uh, discussed in the blueprint, is extremely important. So, What is developmental screening? What, what exactly does that mean? Sure, absolutely. Developmental screening. We're really wanting to take a look at where children are developmentally. So developmental screening is a formalized assessment using a standardized tool to confirm that children are reaching their appropriate developmental milestones. But you're right. When we take a look at bringing individuals together and entities, that certainly is one of the roles of the Children's Foundation to keep our eye on the North Star of what is going to improve outcomes for children. 
Coming up, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a story of Asian American heritage in the Deep South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. trying to find out what is really normal and, and not so normal as you're aging. I'm 62 years old now, and I've heard through the years that people said the older you get, the fewer hours of sleep you need. I uh, usually sleep solidly for like four hours, and then I'm wide awake. But within two hours, I can hardly keep my eyes open. The amount of sleep that people get can vary, and it can vary over your lifetime. You certainly need more when you're younger. As you do age, particularly beyond the age of 70, a lot of people will require less sleep. The key, I think, that you mentioned is how do you feel and how do you function throughout the day? And if you go to a sleep uh, doctor, one of the screening questions is, are you having any kind of increased somnolence during the day? Are you, are you falling asleep easily during a conversation or watching TV or driving? But uh, are those things happening? Are they interfering with the normal things that you would do? If the answer is yes, then you might have a sleep disorder that's interfering with either the quality or the amount of sleep that you're receiving every night. And the best thing to do at that point is to see a sleep specialist. There's a lot of different tests that they can do in the home. You don't have to have obstructive sleep apnea. You can have other types of things. Uh, Sleep hygiene is extremely important. So the very first thing you want to do is to make sure you're avoiding either routines or things that you're taking or ingesting that are keeping you up. Caffeine is a big one. Light source is another one. So we can be very uh, sensitive to different light sources. And when you have those, our bodies are designed when it's dark to sleep, when it's light to wake up. So all those things sort of play into it. But, Steve, if you're having problems during the day, I'd go get checked out by a sleep physician. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. Baldwin Chu is a filmmaker in California. He traces his roots to China, but a few years ago, he also discovered a family connection to another place, a very unlikely place, the Mississippi Delta. Chu committed to finding out more, flying across the country to pour over old paperwork and dusty file cabinets. He discovered a story that's surprising and bittersweet and uniquely American, and he made a documentary about it. He speaks now with Rob Lane. The film Far East Deep South is about my family's search to find our family roots. And being of Chinese-American, Chinese-American descent, we did not expect to find my grandfather and great-grandfather buried in Mississippi. So the the film Far East Deep South takes us on this journey where um, the viewer can take this journey with us to discover this family history and to learn about the early Chinese community in Mississippi. That includes... um, our history in the country during the time of segregation, Jim Crow, and the Chinese exclusion era. What the film does is captures, in essence, um, what it was like in that time frame for our community, as well as the relationships we ended up building with both the white and the black community. And then mostly, what was the detriment of the Chinese Exclusion Act, and how did that affect multiple generations of Chinese Americans and Americans in this country? So um, we're, we're very happy that the film is available on PBS Passport, as well as being broadcast on Mississippi Public Broadcast. 
over the course of the film, you and your family make two visits to Mississippi. And the first visit is particularly extraordinary to me because it seems, and this may just be a byproduct of clever editing, that you show up in the state with a few landmarks that you want to check out, but not a clear plan of attack on how you're going to unravel all this family history. And it seems as though you basically just bump into a series of people who are extraordinarily eager to share their stories and experience with you and help you piece together your family's legacy. Is that accurate? Is that really the experience you had down here? Or is there a little bit of filmmaking magic at play? No, it was exactly how that happened. We actually took more than two trips eventually. But that first trip was exactly that. We show up. We had no idea what we were going to find. We didn't think we were going to find more than just the cemetery. We were hoping we would find the cemetery. We actually didn't even know what cemetery we were going to go to. And it was very fortunate that people started coming out. We started getting phone calls while we were in Memphis, making our way down to Mississippi. And people just started coming out. As soon as we ended up at the Mississippi Delta Chinese Heritage Museum with, with the curator, um, Emily Jones, she started calling people after she met us. And they those people called people. And before we were in, done with the end of the day, we were we were experiencing a lot of different things from different people. And, of course, this is kind of an obligatory question for us. You're a native Californian. Yeah. What did you expect from Mississippi before you came down here, before you knew <laughs> of your family's connection to the state? How would you have described it then? And now, having discovered your family's connection to Mississippi and having visited, as you said several times, how would you describe it now? Oh, man. You know, I I thoroughly love coming to Mississippi. When we first came though when we first made our trip we were not sure what to expect you know being from california all we knew about mississippi was the little that we learned in history class which was mostly negative um, and what we saw on tv which was also unfortunately mostly negative so when we told people we were going to go to mississippi for the first time and that we were tracing our family roots people told us to be careful they were like oh man are you going to be safe in mississippi what are you going to expect and the funny thing was when we showed up in Mississippi, people definitely were shocked to see us in Mississippi, except they were not shocked to see a Chinese face or an Asian face. What they were shocked was was that they saw a Californian, a family of Californians show up to Mississippi, and they were like, what are y'all doing from California? And so that was kind of funny for us. I'm so often struck by how much of... American culture, the good, the bad, and the ugly seems to spring from the Mississippi Delta. And it's kind of extraordinary to me, how, you know, watching this film and discovering that a lot of the, the sort of alliance and bonding between Asian Americans and Black Americans over issues of racial justice played out in towns and in shops like your grandfather's in places like Mississippi. And I'm curious if with the death of George Floyd and the increase in violence against Asian Americans during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you're struck at all, just thinking about the profound historical relationship between those two groups who were, as you note in the film, similarly persecuted in places like Mississippi. Yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. Um, I mean, there is an unfortunate history that is in the South and in Mississippi. Um, what we learned was that 
not all places in Mississippi were, were the same. And in, in our film, what we were able to highlight was true connections between uh, multiple groups of, of people and multiple groups of community. What I think our film really captures is that the Chinese Exclusion Act, which most people in America probably don't know much about, was a horrible law. And that law um, was was during the same time as segregation, during, during other... Um, parts of our country's history that were anti-ethnic um, you know, groups. And so what we learned was that the Chinese Exclusion Act didn't just eventually exclude Chinese people or Asian people from this country, but it excluded our history. And what that has done is that it has caused people to grow up with a narrative that Asian Americans don't belong in this country, we're just a bunch of foreigners, and we've never contributed to this country at all. We, we learned that um, the Chinese have been in the round for a long time. Asian Americans have been around for a long time. And unfortunately, what bonded the Asian community and the black community at, during those times was discrimination. And we found that those, those hardships caused the two groups to, to have to be together, and it caused them to have to unite, and it caused them to have to find some sort of solidarity in order to fight for um, just survival. Thinking about the consequences and the collateral damage of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Now in Mississippi, we have a pretty quickly growing number of Latin American immigrants, both documented and undocumented. We're also home to a major ICE detention center and uh, food processing plants in our state were subject to pretty significant ICE raids in 2019. I'm curious if you have any reflections on how current immigration policy in the U.S. can be oriented to best create a, a, a future in which all cultures can feel safe and celebrated in the country? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, because even in our history, um, what we didn't get to totally cover was that when we talked about the early Chinese coming into Mississippi to work on plantations side by side with the black community, there were also Mexican laborers that were also there supplementing what was no longer available, which was slave labor. So when, when slavery was abolished, they started recruiting, white plantation owners started recruiting both Chinese and Mexican workers to join the black workers in, in the fields. And so even in Mississippi, there's a history of the need for people of color to work on the plantations and to work in the farms in order to build the agricultural industry. So what we hope people will see is that like this history alone is evidence of the need for all communities. And when we, when we talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act, I mean, it was the first act of, of Congress that that really started this whole immigration process. You know, pri prior to the Chinese Exclusion Act, it, it was almost like anybody can really come into this country and people were brought over here just to build this country. But it really was the Chinese Exclusion Act that started this whole immigration process, the, the, the laws that are associated with people coming in from other lands and other countries. What we hope people will realize and when they understand about what the Chinese Exclusion Act was and how it started our immigration system is that we're humans. And we understand that we have to have security. We need to have border security. We need to protect our country. At the same time, we also need to realize that we are human beings as well and that these laws have affected people. Like, you know, with the Chinese Exclusion Act, it affected our family for multiple generations where our family was separated, even though we were actually legal. We were legally here and we were brought here. And yet these laws 
purposely tore our family apart for multiple generations. We we just need people to understand that there are, there are implications, there are consequences on a human level that go cross culturally, cross generationally, and it affects everybody. Baldwin Chu is the producer of the film Far East Deep South. Baldwin, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Far East Deep South airs this afternoon at 2 on MPB TV. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.